Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to the ADCES podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm your host, Joanne Rinker, the Senior Director of Content, Practice, and Learning at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, over a quarter of the 34.2 million people with diabetes are adults ages 65 and over, and this number is expected to rise significantly in the next decades. ADCES recently revised its guidance on the management and education of older persons with diabetes. Joining me today is co-author Wendy Mobley Buckstein a diabetes care and education specialist and doctor of pharmacy, who is here to discuss some of the special considerations in the management and education of older persons with diabetes. If you'd like to reference the practice paper while listening to this episode, you can find it in ADCES in practice. And you can find a link to the issue in the show notes or head over to diabeteseducator.org AIP. Wendy, welcome to the huddle. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and to talk about the work that we did on this paper. So ADCES revised the practice paper, which the title of the document is Special Considerations in the Management and Education of Older Persons with Diabetes. Can you quickly explain what challenges with diabetes self-management arise in this age? Sure. So a lot of what we see is individuals kind of losing some of their independence. Um, The disease itself requires a lot of monitoring, potentially medications, and those medication regimens sometimes become complex. And so what we see is, is as the person ages, we see maybe a decline in physical function, cognitive function, some of those kinds of things that then, you know, require the person to perhaps have more care at home from a family member or another caretaker Um, you know, or potentially starting to think about, you know, some sort of long-term care opportunity like assisted living or skilled nursing facility or something like that. So that sounds like a lot. So if a provider is listening to this and isn't really sure where to start, where would they start to address the special needs of this population? What would you recommend? You know, it goes back to looking at that ADCES 7 framework and really looking at how is that person Uh, doing with their healthy coping. So are we experiencing perhaps diabetes distress? So at least measuring diabetes distress. Is the person experiencing depression because now they're losing some of their independence because they're, you know, dependent now on maybe a caretaker or, or starting to have those conversations with their family members about having to move into perhaps a long-term care facility, you know, or, or something of that nature. And so it's a lot of a lot of things that happen. And so really just kind of talking with the patient and making sure that, you know, you're getting a good picture of kind of where are they at and how are they able to take care of themselves 
that's going to be a good start. And then we kind of move out from that healthy coping piece to how are they managing their medications? How are they doing with their healthy eating? Are they able to be active or doing something active to, again, continue to help with their disease state? So I think it's really important to think about all of these things and kind of how one thing builds on another, builds on another, and how are we, you know, how are we able to make sure that they're still having a quality of life that's going to allow them to feel like they're still able to do the things that they want to do. So it sounds like that's a lot of listening and asking questions and kind of gauging where the person is in their life stage. And I'm wondering, you know, in the last 18 months, as more sessions and or interactions are happening over telehealth, have you had to adapt to telehealth? And like maybe what considerations do you need to make for for having those conversations in a virtual setting? Certainly. I mean, telehealth has been a huge part of what we do because during the beginning of the pandemic, we weren't seeing individuals with chronic um, conditions in the clinic because we didn't have a separate respiratory clinic at that point set up. So we were doing a lot of telephonic as well as, you know, perhaps some video, but I think that that's where things get a little, a little murky is because our, our older adult populations, some of them do have good technology skills and others don't. I work in a federally qualified health center where many of my patients don't have the technology available to them. So they might have a smartphone, which is paid through their insurance company, but they might not have a computer or an iPad or a tablet or anything like that to be able to to connect on a video type of call. But we've been able to do a lot of telephonic. And so it is really listening, asking a lot of really good questions, being very curious about how they are accessing food. You know, how are they how are they exercising if they were going to a gym in the past? You know, a lot of gyms were closed during the beginning of COVID. And so really asking, are there ways that they are able to still do some physical activity um, from their home? So uh, we utilized uh, chair exercises and trying to coach individuals on how to do chair exercises. So video was really good. Um, But sometimes we had to also telephonically kind of direct them to some places. So if they had access to perhaps a smartphone where they could look some things up, you know, online, looking on YouTube and finding some different chair exercises that were free, that were available and those kinds of things. But I mean, overall, I think it was just making sure that people had access to the things they needed. Were they able to get to the pharmacy or was the pharmacy delivering or could someone pick up their medications for them? And so really looking at all of those pieces and and making sure that they were being taken care of when they couldn't come into the clinic and we couldn't physically see them. That's important. I know that our readers and our listeners that are here should definitely read this full practice paper because it'll really help to familiarize them with the topics that we've talked about today. But I know there are some sections with some big revisions, oral health, being active, monitoring. Can you talk a little bit about those three sections specifically? Certainly. So oral health was something that we have included because obviously dentition being able to um, pick foods that are nourishing to the body, but also that the person can eat based on whether or not they have their own teeth or have dentures, or maybe they don't have 
any teeth or dentures. And so how are we making sure that they're getting food as well as food insecurity? I think that that was a big issue during COVID is, you know, people weren't wanting to go out to the grocery store. A lot of food banks and food pantries and places like that were trying to kind of rethink their models on how they were going to get that food out to people as well. So, you know, how were people accessing food? That was another issue for us. So kind of thinking through all of those things and and how are we making sure that people are being taken care of and are getting the food that they need. Uh, We talk about being active again. Gyms were closed. So for people who are going to the Y or people who are going to a gym situation, trying to figure out what are some ways that we can help them figure out how to do some of those things at home so that they could continue to be active and continue to move their body and get that movement in that they needed so desperately, but without having to, you know, necessarily put themselves in harm's way if they wanted to go into a gym or something like that once they were reopened. And so I think that that was another big, a big step for many people and trying to, I think, at least from my point of view, finding some exercise physiologists and some personal trainers who were willing to work with me at CDCES and say, okay, here are some different things that you could try. But again, you need to know what that person's physical functioning ability is before you recommend some of these kinds of things. And then as far as monitoring is concerned, obviously, hypoglycemia is one of, I would say, in my opinion, one of the bigger things that I really think about with monitoring uh, when we're talking with our older patients. And so you know, making sure that they have all of the different supplies at home to be able to test their blood sugars, but then also thinking about the use of CGMs. I think especially during COVID, uh, CGMs became very valuable because I can go on the internet as long as, you know, in a cloud-based server, and I can get that information if they're uploading it. So again, it's a technology piece, um, and so they have to have the ability to have that technology at home. But when they do, even if they have a smartphone with some of the different CGM technology, we're able to get to that information. And so it did prove to be quite helpful. And I think, again, you know, limiting hypoglycemia was one of the big things, because, of course, when you have hypoglycemia, you increase fall risk, which, of course, is something else that we're trying to definitely decrease in our older adult population. All right. So I know that what our listeners might be thinking of right now is how can they begin to implement some of the knowledge from the practice paper immediately? What are some things that you would recommend? I think some of the big things that I think that we highlighted maybe more over the past several years would be, you know, the use of CGMs, the use of some of the new medications that are available and make that risk benefit profile as to which ones of those drugs might be better choices for our older adults. And then, of course, thinking about deprescribing. So as an individual ages and their perhaps their individualized A1C goal is now a little less strict or restrictive than what we've been in the past, um, you know, maybe we don't need to have them on intensive basal bolus insulin you know, different things depending on, again, their life expectancy, their physical and cognitive functioning, those types of things. And so I think that those are things that are, I would say, not too difficult to implement, but are also good things to have in the back of your mind to start thinking about when you're, when you're seeing the older adult in your practice setting. And then Wendy, do you have any recommendations on how the DCES can actually impact therapeutic inertia among kind of this age population? 
The best thing is always, I, I feel like at least with my providers, it's that personal connection that you have with that person. And so really knowing what is it like for them? Do they have a you know family member or friend who's helping take care of them? And how much burden do they perceive that they're putting on that person? And so really coming at it from a, here's what's happening with this person. Here are some, you know, potential suggestions that I have to kind of help reduce this burden, reduce this uh, distress that this person is having on managing their disease, but at the same time, still allow them to be able to live relatively complication-free from their diabetes and, you know, continue to be able to have the quality of life that they're looking for. Okay. And I know you have a session at ADCES 21. Do you want to tell everyone about that? Sure. So myself and Mandy Reese, one of the other co-authors of this paper are presenting our presentation is called medications, technology, and behavior change for older adults with diabetes. And we will be presenting that we recorded yesterday. (laughs) Um, So of course it's a virtual session, um, but we will have a live question and answer session on Saturday, August 14th uh, from 3.15 to 3.45. We're really excited to be able to present the the information that we had and kind of highlight the main pieces that we thought were really important and new to this paper, you know, because it's being updated. Thank you. That's awesome because it's a great opportunity now for everyone to kind of listen to the full presentation at annual conference and then have the ability to actually do some live Q&A with you and Mandy, which I think is super helpful. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for coming on and for being with us today and sharing all the information about this new paper. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle. As you just heard, older adults with diabetes face unique challenges that the diabetes care and education specialists should be prepared to address. By reading the guidance in the updated ADCES practice paper, you'll be better equipped to meet the needs of the individual while appropriately decreasing the chronic disease burden on the older adult and even their caregivers. Find it in ADCES in practice. A link is included in the show notes at diabeteseducator.org slash podcast. Remember that ADCES membership gets you free access to resources, education, and networking that improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Learn more about what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.